My pleasure to welcome you this morning as we've gathered together to uh, worship. And if I could, I'd like to address your attention to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 will be our call to worship this morning. prophet Isaiah, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and with it said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom, who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their heart, ears, and understand with the heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray together that as we gather together to worship and as we gaze upon your glory in your word as it has been made known to us, Lord, that we would stand in awe and cry out with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And Lord, may we see your glory, may we see your holiness and be confronted with our sinfulness and brought to confession, recognizing that we deserve nothing from you but your wrath, your judgment. But in your great kindness, in your great grace, you have sent your Son into the world to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, so that our sin might be taken away and our iniquity might be purged. So, Lord, we pray that we would confess our sin, forsake it, do battle with it, put it to death, and receive the cleansing that Jesus provided for us on the cross. And, Lord, then may we hear your word telling us to speak to this people. Lord, we pray that you grant us opportunity and then courage and faithfulness to speak your truth and love, regardless of the results, and trust your work and your provision. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful in all that we do and that you would be pleased to make it fruitful. And Lord, we're thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ, his presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit and the opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and truth, and to ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, take your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number 68. Hymn number 68. If you would, as we continue to worship, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Our text today begins in the 22nd verse. Paul has been arrested, taken to Caesarea, 
where he might appear before the governor. His accusers have come and accused him of insurrection, sedition, and uh, causing riots and uh, rebellion by defiling the sacred, defiling the temple of God. And then Paul offers his defense, saying that he had done nothing wrong, he had violated no Roman law, and the dispute is simply a religious dispute. He is simply being charged because he believes in the resurrection of the dead, a religious issue, a doctrinal issue, a theological thing that even the accusers don't agree on. And so he is saying that the Roman governor has no jurisdiction, he uh, has no authority to settle theological disputes, that he has done nothing wrong, committed no crime, but it's simply because of the resurrection of the dead that he is standing before the governor. So the prosecution has presented his case, rested his case. Paul has offered his defense and he rests his case. And now the governor is at a position where he needs to make a decision. He needs to make a decision about Paul and the uh, uh, accusations that have been made against him. And he also needs to make a decision about the gospel of Jesus with which he has been confronted. And unfortunately, we see Felix put off, procrastinate, and not make either one of those decisions. And so Acts chapter 24, beginning in the 22nd verse, Luke writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the very words of God, says in Luke and Acts 24 verse 22, when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his, his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for this opportunity to stand together before your word, Lord, and to uh, consider your truth and to consider the implications of your truth for us this day. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, uh, like Paul, be faithful to reason about the faith, to speak about righteousness, about self-control, and about the judgment that is to come. And Lord, we pray that you would Help us to be persistent and consistent in that message, even though those to whom we speak may not be responding. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us perseverance and persistence and patience as we testify to the good news of your grace, salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we are confronted with the truth, that we would not put off decision. We would recognize that failing to make a positive decision is to make a negative decision. And Lord, we pray that we, when confronted with your word, would respond with repentance and faith, with righteousness, with self-control. And that on the day of judgment, we might stand clothed not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. And so we've been tracking the, uh, uh, the trials of Paul as he has been arrested when he was in Jerusalem, uh, Riot broke out when he was there in the temple because of the false allegations that he had profaned the sacred, that he had violated the, the, the sanctuary, the sanctity of the temple. They grabbed him. Those who were thought they were fighting for the sanctity of the temple grabbed Paul, <laughs> drug him out, and began to beat him, and almost beat him to death had the Roman commander not come and intervened. And Paul uh, stands before the council and says, it's because of the resurrection that I am here today. And the council divided and they uh, began to uh, riot within the council. The Roman soldier had come again and saved Paul. 
locks him up, and then when he uncovers a, 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 a conspiracy against Paul, 40 men conspiring to uh, lay in ambush and, and murder Paul as he's brought from the prison to the council, the commander delivers him to the governor Felix in Caesarea. And then we have looked at uh, uh, this case that is before him. The prosecuting attorney has laid out his case. This man is a dangerous man. He is, uh, in, he is inciting riots. He is leading an insurrection. He is propagating an unauthorized religion. And he has profaned the sacred. The prosecutor presents his case and rests his case, having made these accusations. And then Paul is given an opportunity to defend himself. And Paul defends himself saying that he has not led an insurrection. He went to temple, to the temple. He went to Jerusalem to deliver an offering from the Gentile churches to the poor, impoverished believers in Jerusalem. And he purified himself as was according to the custom and the rules before going into the temple to worship and to offer uh, prescribed sacrifices. He was not disputing. He was not arguing. He was not inciting a riot. But it was the mob within the crowd that actually rioted and none of them none of those witnesses are there to testify against Paul and so Paul said it basically comes down to a religious dispute a theological issue in verse 21 he says concerning the resurrection of the dead I am being judged by you this day and so he tells the Roman governor you don't have any jurisdiction over this this is a religious dispute this is a theological issue and even those who have accused me the council the Jewish council that I stood before they don't even agree on this doctrinal issue, and so it has no place in the Roman courts, no place in the, uh, uh, for, uh, before a civil governor. This is a religious dispute. You do not have jurisdiction. And then Paul rests his case, and now Felix is confronted with the decision. He is the governor. He has great experience in these things, and now he is expected to render a judgment. And we want him to do the right thing. We want him... Uh, we want justice to prevail and for him to say that he has uh, no reason to hold Paul and to release him. But that is not what Felix does. Verse 22, Felix heard these things and uh, Luke tells us that he has a more accurate knowledge of the way than Paul's accusers. That he has been uh, governor for a long time as Paul acknowledged in his defense that he has uh, experienced and no doubt he has heard many uh, uh, accounts of disputes that have arisen in synagogues and in the cities as Christians would go into the synagogues and preach the good news of Jesus, preach that the Messiah has come, preach that the one that came to the Jews, the Jews rejected and handed him over to be crucified, God has made him Lord in Christ. We've seen in the book of Acts and uh, 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 through the ministry of Peter and John and Philip and Paul, when they go with the gospel, there are these disputes that arise. And so no doubt Felix had much experience in this. And Felix knows, has an accurate knowledge of the way, and instead of rendering a judgment, instead of making a decision, he procrastinates. He puts it off. Now he has all the information that he needs to render a right decision. He has all the information that he needs to, uh, to, to dispense justice, to do the right thing, to declare that he has no jurisdiction over Paul, there's no reason to keep him in chains. There's no reason to keep him in prison. He has done nothing wrong. He has broken no Roman law. Justice demands that Paul be released. And he has all of that information. The prosecuting attorney has come. He hasn't brought any witnesses. He hasn't brought anyone to say that Paul was inciting a riot. He hasn't brought anyone to, to testify that Paul had broken a Roman law. He had done something worthy of change done something that was under the jurisdiction of his court. There, there was no evidence presented. And so the judge, the governor, has all the information that he needs to make the right decision, to give the right judgment, to do justice. And yet he does not to, he does not, he decides not to announce the verdict that Paul is not guilty and should be released and said he procrastinates. He adjourned the proceedings and said when Lysias, commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. 
And so he puts off making a decision and he offers this flimsy excuse that the commander that came and took you away from that mob that was beating you to death, that commander who was there when you addressed the, the mob in Jerusalem and another riot brought out, broke out, that commander that was there when you were addressing the council and a, and a dispute broke out and they were about to tear you in two, I'm going to wait until that commander comes and gives me more information before I make a decision. But that is a flimsy excuse because you remember when the commander sent Paul to the governor, when he sent Paul to Felix, he wrote a letter. And in that letter we have recorded for us in uh, chapter 23, verse 29, the commander Lysias wrote, I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law. It's a religious dispute. It's a theological issue. It doesn't have anything to do with Roman law. And then he goes on to say in 23-29, he had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. The commander's already stated his case. He's already said what he has determined. He's already given the testimony that he would give. The governor has everything that he needs in order to make the right decision, and yet he does not. He refuses to make the right decision, and he defers judgment, offering a flimsy excuse. The commander's already told him uh, the situation, what he believes, that Paul has done nothing deserving of death or even chains. Justice demands that he be released. And so Felix does not make a decision. And in verse 23, he commanded the centurion, the captain of the guard, to keep Paul, but to keep him in minimal custody. Uh, in a, in a minim, minimum custody way. Let him have some liberty and his friends can come and provide for him and visit him. And so he keeps him locked up, but he keeps him locked up in minimum security. Allowing as much liberty as possible, but also his friends and his family to visit him, to provide for him, and to come and see him. And so the prosecution has presented his case and rested his case. Paul has offered his defense and rested his case. And now it's time for the judgment. And the judge does not render a verdict. He simply waits and decides to defer the decision for selfish and political reasons. And so we see Felix the judge. And Felix is being asked to render justice on Paul's case. He has received the prisoner from the commander with the commander's testimony. He has heard the prosecuting attorney not prove his case, not presenting any violation of Roman law or any evidence that Paul had committed a crime. And he has heard Paul's defense that this is a religious matter over which you have no jurisdiction. He is being asked to render a verdict, to make a decision about Paul's case and Paul's liberty. But more profoundly, that governor is being asked to make a decision about the claims of Jesus Christ, the message that Paul is teaching, the message that Paul is preaching. And unfortunately, the governor does not make a decision in any case. He does not declare that Paul is innocent and should be released, nor does he turn from his sins and put his trust in Jesus Christ. It's really Felix that is on trial here. What are you going to do with the truth? What are you going to do with the gospel? What are you going to do with the good news of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with the, the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? And unfortunately, Felix decides not to decide for Jesus. He procrastinates, he puts it off, and to fail to decide for Jesus is to decide against him, and it is a very dangerous decision which to make. And we'll see that in the life of Felix. And so really, who's on trial here? Felix is on trial. What is he going to do with the truth? What is he going to do with the message of Jesus? What is he going to do with the gospel? What is he going to do about Jesus Christ and the offer of eternal life by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And unfortunately, he defers the decision. He procrastinates. He puts off making a decision for Jesus. 
And as we see that, we see the uh, uh, two things that are, that are in this text. There is Paul's message and the response of Felix. And so let's look first at the message. We see in verse 24, After some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Jesus. And so Felix is married to a young woman, a very young woman, named Drusilla. And, and, and Luke tells us that she is Jewish. So she has a, a, a heritage. She has an interest in this case. Paul's accusers are Jewish, and they are accusing him of preaching a false religion, a false sect of Judaism. And uh, she actually has probably a great deal of knowledge about this conflict from the very beginning. You see, Drusilla is the daughter of Herod Agrippa. We've, we've met him before in the book of Acts. We've met her father. Her father is the one who put James to the sword. Her father murdered James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 12, he put James to the sword because he wanted to please the Jews. Her father executed James, the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Her great uncle murdered John the Baptist. Her great uncle was the, the king, and John the Baptist came and told the king that it was unlawful for him to have his brother's sister. He did not like that. He locked John the Baptist up, and ultimately his wife manipulated him to the fact that Drusilla's great uncle beheaded John the Baptist, presenting his head to his stepdaughter on a platter. Not only that, her great-grandfather was Herod the Great. And Herod the Great received some astrologers, some wise men from the east. And they came and they were inquiring about the man who had been born, the boy, the baby that had been born, the king of the Jews. They had seen his star in the east. And Herod the Great sent the, the, wise, the, the wise men to Bethlehem to find out where this boy was. And when they were warned in a dream, they went back another way. Her great-grandfather ordered that all of the baby boys within the vicinity of Bethlehem that were under two years old be put to the sword, be murdered, because he had heard of one who had been born the rightful king of the Jews. And so that is the heritage of Drusilla. Her father murdered James the Apostle. Her great-grandfather murdered John the... Uh, I mean, her great-uncle murdered John the Baptist. And her great-grandfather murdered the babies in the vicinity of Bethlehem. She no doubt had heard about the Christian movement from her very earliest age. And now she is there listening to Paul, who has been brought between her before her and her husband. And we see Paul brought from the prison and given an audience with the, king, the governor and his wife. And when we see Paul brought before them, it's very interesting that we look at his message. Paul does not stand before the governor and protest his imprisonment. Paul, who is a Roman citizen, does not stand before the governor and demand his rights. Paul is a Roman citizen. He's invoked his rights before, but now he does not demand that he be treated justly or fairly. He does not protest that he has been wrongly treated, denied justice, oppressed, wrongly imprisoned. He does not... Uh, demand another hearing of his innocence. He does not mobilize his people to protest, to march. He does not even mobilize his people to collect money that he might bribe the governor. No, Paul, when he is given this opportunity, he is faithful to speak the truth. He is faithful to speak the truth about the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't water down the gospel. He doesn't take out the offensive parts so that the governor and his wife might uh, be impressed. He does not try to manipulate them with uh, 
promises out of context. He does not promise them their best life now. He does not tell them that God has a wonderful plan for their life. He does not uh, change the gospel, water down the gospel, manipulate the gospel in any way. He is faithful to proclaim the whole truth about Jesus. When Paul is brought before the governor, we are told that uh, Felix and his wife Drusilla sent for Paul and heard him concerning, look at verse 24, the faith in Jesus. So what did Paul talk about when he was brought before the governor? He talked about the faith in Jesus. Now, it's important here, Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we believe that every single word in the Bible is a word that is breathed out by God, and God in his providence breathed out the word the, the article the, the faith in Jesus. And so when Paul uh, uh, discusses with, with, uh, with Felix and Drusilla, he is not just talking about faith in Jesus, but he is talking about the faith in Jesus. And, and faith in Jesus is a subset, a part of the faith in Jesus, but when the article there is used, it is telling us that Paul talked to him about all of the aspects of the Christian faith, the faith. The faith in Christ, all of the accepted truths, all of the accepted doctrines, the whole body of truth, the whole body of belief that goes with Christianity. Not just faith in Jesus, but all of the things that that means and all of the things that we trust in, in Jesus. And so when the Bible uses that article to talk about the faith, the faith in Jesus, it is talking about the whole body of thought, the whole body of belief, Everything that God has revealed to us about Jesus Christ, everything a person must believe, must have faith in, in order to be a Christian, in order to be a child of God. And so uh, that is a broad topic, and, and Paul talks to him about the faith in Jesus. You know, the fact that a holy God purposed to create for himself a people that would love him, glorify him, delight in his presence for all of eternity. A holy God, one God, created all that there is to display his glory and he created humans in his own image so that they might know him and have a relationship with him and have fellowship with him and glorify him and delight in his presence but those humans that God created had sinned and and cut themselves off from God they have a broken relationship with God because of their sin and their disobedience their rebellion against God they have fallen into a condition of sin and misery and they don't deserve anything from God except judgment except his wrath but God in his great love had purposed to redeem his sinful people to himself so God the son the son of God became a man and lived a life of perfect righteousness a sinless life satisfying the law of God, the righteousness of the law, and then he died on the cross, a righteous man dying for the unrighteous, the sinless dying for sinners, taking the punishment that they deserve, the righteous demands of the law, that the wages of sin is death, Jesus took that upon himself and died for the sins of his people, turning away God's wrath for them by absorbing it in his own body. And then God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and God's wrath has been turned away. And, and God the Son was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, took his place at the right hand of the Father, and God the Father and God the Son sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, to confirm the truth of the gospel, and to convert men from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ and then conform them to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. All the faith, all of those facts, all the doctrines of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, the doctrines of grace, Paul talked to him about the faith, the body of belief, all of those facts about Jesus that must be accepted, must be affirmed, must be believed for a person to be born again and to be a child of God. Paul was faithful to deliver the whole counsel of the word of God. To deliver the message. All the facts. All the truth about the faith in Christ Jesus. All of those accepted God revealed doctrines and truths about Jesus Christ. And so when Paul was brought before the governor. He did not waste time defending himself. Being defensive. Demanding his rights. 
He did not water down the message. He did not twist it. He did not leave out the hard parts. He was faithful to proclaim the whole truth. The faith that had been received. The faith in Christ. And then Luke goes on and he, 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 he breaks down uh, three specific areas where Paul spoke. Where Paul reasoned with him. In verse 25, now as he reasoned, and that word reason, it means that Paul's not just preaching, he's not just proclaiming, he's not just standing in front delivering the truth, but he is engaging in a dialogue. He is engaging in a conversation. He is presenting truth and he is entertaining questions or concerns or, or things. He is allowing Felix and Drusilla to interact and to ask questions and to explore and to reason. And so Paul is not just preaching, he is discussing, he is reasoning. He is dialoguing. He is answering questions. He is answering objections. He is taking time to make sure that the truth is not just spoken, but that the truth is understood. And so he's reasoning with them, and Luke gives us three specific topics, subtopics of the faith in Christ that Paul deals with. And we see them in verse 25, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So as Paul reasons with him, he focuses on three topics. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment that is to come. And so let's talk a little bit about righteousness. Righteousness simply means to do right, to be right with God, to be in a right relationship with God. And so Paul talks to him about righteousness, that God is a holy God, and God is a God who gives his law and demands obedience. God is righteous and God is holy. He lays down his law. He tells men what he requires of them, what they must believe about him and what they must do. And because God is righteous and holy, he, uh, he, he demands obedience. And obedience will be rewarded and disobedience will be judged. Disobedience will be punished. God is righteous and therefore he must punish sin if he is a righteous judge and so Paul talks to Felix and his wife about righteousness about a right relationship with God a holy God a holy lawgiver that demands obedience and promises punishment for disobedience and as Paul talks about righteousness we know from his his writings and from the faith of Jesus Christ that righteousness cannot be attained by human effort. God is righteous and man is in bondage to sin and unrighteousness. When man rebelled against God, he fell into a condition of sin and misery and he inherits a nature that is totally depraved, that is cut off from God. He is in bondage into his sin and he cannot earn his righteousness through works of the law, through obedience. He is a sinner. He cannot obey the law. He cannot attain righteousness through his own efforts. He cannot obtain righteousness by doing religious ceremonies, by doing religious works, by doing religious things. He is in bondage to his sin. He is by nature unrighteous, and he is by his actions unrighteous, guilty before God, condemned by his sin and his sinful nature. And so man has a problem. God is righteous. He demands righteousness. Man is unrighteous. He cannot perform righteousness. He stands guilty and condemned before God. So how can an unrighteous man be made right with God? And Paul reasons with Felix and Drusilla to answer that question, to answer that objective. Well, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son, the Son of God, became a man and fulfilled all righteousness, lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless in the place of the sinful, the holy in place of the depraved. Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, and then he satisfied the righteous demands of the law against lawbreakers as he died for the sins of his people and then God and righteousness 
judged those sins and accepted the sacrifice of Jesus and and demonstrates the righteousness of Christ by raising him from the dead. And so how can an unrighteous sinner be made right with God, come into a right relationship with God? By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now God calls all men everywhere to repent, to confess their sinfulness, to confess their inability to earn God's acceptance through good works, through obedience to the law, through religious rituals or ceremonies. To turn from sin and to put trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for salvation. And when a man, when a sinner turns from sin and puts his trust in Jesus Christ, he is born again to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives that sinner union with Christ. A union so profound that the righteousness of Christ is credited to his account. And that the sin of that sinner was credited to Jesus when he died for our sins. By union with Christ, we are united with Christ in his death so that we can also be reunited united with him in his resurrection. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. So how does a man become right with God? By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. A man cannot justify himself through acts of the law. He cannot justify himself. He can only be justified by God's grace, God's gracious intervention through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul talked to Felix and Drusilla about true righteousness. Righteousness that does not come from good works, that does not come from observing the law, but comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul talked about the faith in Christ the righteousness that is a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. Look at the second topic that Paul talked about with uh, Felix and Drusilla, verse 25, self-control. All right, he talked to him about righteousness and he talks to him about self-control. And uh, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, we've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a union with Christ. We are declared to be righteous. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in us to produce acts of righteousness, practical righteousness as we have self-control. So there is God's action, God's intervention for us in Christ. And then there is our response to God's intervention. Repentance, acknowledge our sinfulness, acknowledge our inability, acknowledge the fact that we cannot save ourselves, that we are condemned by our sin, Uh, we are under God's condemnation, and it's only by God's grace through faith that we can be forgiven. And so, exercising self-control, we deny ourselves, deny our trust in ourselves. And put our trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes and indwells and produces his fruit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Coming to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Being saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by works. But when we come to, to God in faith, then the Holy Spirit produces his fruit. He produces good works. As that believer denies himself, does not pursue the lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh, the pride of life. He submits his desires to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He exercises self-control as he brings his desires, his passions, his affections under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so salvation by grace alone through faith alone doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone means your wants are changed. And you want to put away that which is unpleasing to God. You want to discipline yourself, deny yourself, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that you do not produce the fruits of the flesh, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so that righteousness, that legal act results in self-control. And Paul has talked about this before. He talked about it uh, just up in his defense. He says that he believes all things. He worships the God of his Father. Verse 14, he believes all things which are written in the law and the prophets. He has hope in God. He believes in the resurrection of the dead. And then verse 16, being so, I always strive to have conscience, uh, to, to, 
to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. And because he, because he believes in the resurrection, because he believes in uh, uh, the, the, the God of the fathers, he denies himself, he disciplines himself, he strives to do what his conscience that has been informed by the law of God commands him to do. Putting off that which is displeasing to God, putting off what could be an offense to man, and putting on works of righteousness. And Paul talks in another place, I discipline my body. He exercises self-control, taking all of his affections, all of his desires, all of his attitudes, all of his thoughts captive to obedient to Christ Jesus. Sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes. And he takes those, those desires and he takes them captive to Lord Jesus and, and seeks to do that which is pleasing in God's sight. Denying himself, exercising self-control, yielding to the control of the Spirit so that he does not pursue the lust of his flesh, the pride of life. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone results in a changed life. It's not just a decision we make that has no difference. No, because of that righteousness, we are called to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Putting off that which is unpleasing to God and putting on that which is pleasing to Him. So he speaks to him about self-control, the changed life. Denying yourself, denying your flesh taking your affections, your desires, your attitudes underneath the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and acting in ways that are pleasing to him. And then third, the third aspect of this uh, 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 discussion, this reasoning, Paul speaks to Felix and Drusilla about the judgment to come. He has already talked about the resurrection of the righteous and the, the, the just and the unjust in verse 15. He believes in the resurrection of the dead, the just and the unjust. He says, that's the reason that I'm on trial today because of the doctrine of the resurrection. And now he speaks to Drusilla and Felix about the judgment that is to come. At the end of the age, the dead will be raised. The righteous and the unrighteous, the believing and the unbelieving, the just and the unjust, the justified and the unjustified, the repentant and the unrepentant, all will be raised. All will be raised and stand before the judge of the universe. All will face judgment. It is appointed to man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And so he speaks to him about righteousness, he speaks to them about self-control, and he speaks to them about those who put off making a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. Making a decision to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to put their trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, be united in His death, and then be united in His resurrection, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They will stand before God. And they will be judged in righteousness. The dead will be raised. They will stand before the judge. And all of those who have turned from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ will hear the words of the Master, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And those who have refused to put their trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, they will hear the words, Depart from me, I never knew you. Depart into the flames of fire, the everlasting fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels, where you will spend eternity satisfying the righteous, holy wrath of God against your sin, your rebellion, your unrighteousness, your wickedness, your refusal to hear. And believe the gospel. And so he speaks to them about the judgment that is to come. Notice, Paul doesn't just pick the happy text. He doesn't just tell the governor what he might like to hear. He doesn't promise him a, his best life now. He does not promise him uh, 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 purpose. He does not promise him all of these things. He calls him to turn from his sin and he points to the judgment that is to come. That hell is real, hell is eternity, and hell is God's wrath. 
God's just wrath. The righteousness of God demands that he punishes the unrepentant, the wicked, the unrighteous. And so Paul speaks concerning the faith in Jesus, particularly his righteousness, the need for self-control, self-denial, new life and the power of the Holy Spirit and the judgment that is to come. That's Paul's message. He speaks the truth. He reasons. He dialogues. He's there to answer objections, to answer questions, to make sure that Felix and Drusula hear and hear the call to render a judgment, to turn from sin and to put their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, to be declared righteous by God's grace through faith, be born again to new life, everlasting life with the Holy Spirit, and on the day of judgment to be saved, to stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ and not their own righteousness. Paul is faithful to the message. And then what is the response of Felix? Well, number one, verse 25, Felix was afraid. When Felix heard about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, his first response was fear. He had an emotional response. And this is a strong word for fear, and it means that it is a fear that is so significant that it results in shuddering, trembling, and so he hears this message of the judgment that is to come, and he recognizes his sinfulness. He is convicted of his sin, but he is not converted. He is afraid of the judgment of God, so afraid that he trembles, that he shudders, that he shakes. Convicted, but not converted. An emotional response, but not a response of repentance and faith. He's afraid of the judgment to come. He recognizes his sinfulness, his inability to save himself. He recognizes that he is a slave to his flesh, to his desires, to his lust. And he's afraid. He trembles shakes in fear before a holy God. And then tells Paul, go away. Go away now. All right, you told me the truth. But there is no repentance. There is no faith. He sends the messenger away. I'll call you when I have a more convenient time. He put off the decision to declare Paul innocent and to declare him, to order him to be set free. But more importantly, he puts off a decision to turn from his own sin and put his trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone receive God's forgiveness. And he sends Paul away and says, I'm going to hear you at a more convenient time. And so he sends him back to the prison. And then look at verse 26. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. And so we still see the lust of his flesh. Paul's got friends. Paul has friends that collected, made a great collection for the impoverished believers in Jerusalem, for the, the church in Jerusalem. He had this great collection and took this money to Jerusalem to offer to those that were impoverished. Well, if his friends would come together and make an offering for the church at Jerusalem, they would probably come together and raise an offering to, for Paul to get out of jail, for, for Paul to get out of prison. And so what he would not do for justice, because justice demanded Paul had done no crime, Paul should be released, there was nothing that he had done worthy of death or chains, Justice demands that Paul be released, but Felix didn't care anything about justice. But he did care about money. <laughs> what justice would not cause him to do, money would. And if Paul was, if his friends would set up a GoFundMe and they would get a big, a big pile of money, they would bring it, then, 
then, uh, then uh, Felix would consider releasing him. So Felix is still committed to his own pleasure, his own comfort, the lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh, the pride of life, even after being confronted with the gospel. But, look at verse 26, Therefore, he sent for him more and more often and conversed with him. He, he wanted a bribe, and he kept calling for Paul. And you know, Luke doesn't tell us what Paul talked to him about, but I can imagine it's exactly the same thing that he talked to him about in verse 25. And what he talked to him about in verse 14 and 15 and 16. Paul was consistent, Paul was persistent, Paul was faithful. He would come to Felix, he would not offer a bribe, he would not demand his rights, but he would converse with Felix about the faith in Jesus, about righteousness, about self-control, about the judgment to come. And you know what I believe? I believe that every single time Felix called for Paul and brought him out of the prison. And converse with Paul and listen to Paul talk about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, about the faith in Jesus Christ, about the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that every single time that Felix listened to Paul talk to him about the gospel, Felix was increasing his judgment. He was increasing the wrath that would be poured out upon him. Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, the servant who knew, who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So every single time Felix heard the gospel and did not respond with repentance and faith, he was increasing his own judgment. He was increasing the stripes that he would receive, the blows with which he would be beaten, the punishment that he would receive in hell because he was sinning against more light, more opportunity. Every time he brought Paul, he was increasing his condemnation, his guilt, his wrath. Jesus says, To everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So Felix just, he, he, he trembled at the truth. He was interested, he was curious. He would bring Paul before him and talk with him. And yet, he never believed. He never turned from his sin and put his trust in Jesus. He just kept putting it off. Well, maybe I'll get a bribe. Or he's also the perfect politician. Verse 27. After two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix. I tried to find out why Felix uh, uh, went out of power, if he, got, uh, if he died or if he got uh, executed or if the Caesar removed. I couldn't find that. I'll look, uh, we'll talk about that next week with Festus. I'll look some more. I haven't been able to find out what happened to Felix. But there's no indication that he ever repented and believed. He deferred. He put off deciding for Jesus, and his decision not to decide was to decide to die in his sins and experience the full force of God's wrath for his own sinfulness. And then verse 27, after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. The lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh, the pride of life, political expediency, Felix did political calculation. Well, if I let Paul out of jail, that's one vote I'll get. If Paul gets out of jail, Paul will vote for me. But if I keep Paul bound, all of these people who have brought him, accused that mob in Jerusalem, all those people, I'll keep their votes. I'll win their votes. So he does not care about his own soul, but he cares about his political popularity. And wanting to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul bound. He did not decide. He did not decide Paul's case. And he did not decide to run to Jesus and save his own soul. He gained a few votes. Maybe gained the world. But what is it to profit a man 
if you gain the whole world. Gain a few votes and lose a soul. Felix is confronted with a decision. He's heard the truth, the whole truth. Be faith in Jesus. He's heard about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. He's been convicted, trembling, shuddering under the truth of God's word and the reality of God's wrath and God's judgment upon him. He shakes with fear. And yet he doesn't decide. He doesn't run to Jesus to be saved from the wrath to come. He puts it off. And he keeps listening, keeps listening, keeps listening. And every time he listens and doesn't respond and doesn't repent, he's increasing his judgment. He's increasing the wrath of God against him. He's increasing the amount of light that he'll be held accountable for. He knows what God requires of him. He will not do it. He will be beaten with many blows, many strikes. And every time he hears and doesn't respond, those stripes increase. So, oh dear brother if you, brother or sister, if you're here today and you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ and you have heard the gospel, you've heard the good news of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, you've heard about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. And if you put off unbelief or you put off turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, you put off running to Jesus to find safety on the day of judgment, you will give an account for what you heard and did not respond to today. Run to Jesus and be saved from the wrath that is to come. And I think we also see, we learn from Paul, his persistence. He's not interested in himself. He's not demanding his rights. Not sugarcoating the message. Telling Felix and Drusilla something they want to hear or something that might be comforting to them. He's not manipulating their emotions. He's telling them the truth, the whole truth. The faith in Christ, all the doctrines of grace, how to be found righteous before God, walking in the control of the Holy Spirit so that you don't produce the fruits of the flesh but the fruit of the Spirit. Calling them to turn and believe to be saved from the wrath to come faithfulness, persistence. Paul didn't share it one time and say, oh, he didn't listen. Next time I'll just go talk about myself. He was persistent. Over and over, the same message, the same truth. Calling him to repent, calling him to believe, calling him to be saved from the wrath to come. And you know, God calls us to be faithful. Not every, and like Isaiah, we read Isaiah chapter 6. He told Isaiah, you're going to preach and they're not going to hear. In fact, your preaching is going to increase their judgment. It's going to make their ears dull. It's going to make their eyes blind. Your preaching is going to cause hardness in them. But don't give up. Keep preaching. Keep speaking. Be persistent. My word will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And even though the vast majority will be unbelieving, there's a little seed. And from that seed will come life. From that seed will come hope. So don't give up. Don't grow weary in speaking the truth. Don't say, well, I've told them once. They rejected it. Now it's on them. Paul, over and over, spoke to him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Speak the truth, the whole truth. And trust God with the results. And we talked about Paul staying in prison actually protected him from the mobs that were going to try to kill him. Felix didn't decide. He put it off. Don't delay. Run to Jesus. Be clothed in his righteousness. Be saved from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it, Lord. And we're thankful for the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, we're thankful that 
Spirit can unite us with Christ, unite us with him in his death as he paid the penalty for our sin and unite us with him in his righteous life. And Lord, I pray that you grant us self-control, the power of the Spirit to deny self, to deny the flesh, to put off things which are displeasing to you, and to put on the fruit of the Spirit, to put on righteousness, and to walk above reproach. Help us, like Paul, to always strive with a good conscience informed by your word not to be an offense to you or to others. And Lord, that when we are brought in and falsely accused, may we be above reproach and there be nothing, nothing of which we are accused that can stand. And that there would be nothing deserving of death or chains. May it just be the message, the message of the cross that brings offense in nothing in our personal lives or in our way and our manner. Lord, we pray that you find us faithful with the opportunities that we have to speak your truth. And we pray that you would be pleased to make it fruitful, that those who hear through the power of the Holy Spirit would be drawn to your Son, Jesus, and granted the gift of repentance and faith. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful and you would be pleased to make it fruitful and you would add to our number those that are being saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnals today. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.